Chapter 9 of The Star Chamber, An Historical Romance, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Star Chamber, Volume 1, by William Harrison Ainsworth. Chapter 9, The Letters Patent. A slight reaction in Sir Giles's favor was produced by his speech but Jocelyn quite regained his position with the company when he exclaimed, "'My father was misjudged, his prosecutor was a villain, and his sentence iniquitous.' "'You have uttered your own condemnation, Jocelyn Monchensey,' Sir Giles cried with a savage laugh. "'Know to your confusion that the High Court of Star Chamber is so tender of upholding the honor of its sentences that it ever punishes such as speak against them with the greatest severity. You have uttered your scandals openly.' "'Imprudent young man, you have indeed placed yourself in fearful jeopardy,' a gentleman near him observed to Jocelyn. "'Escape if you can. You are lost if you remain here.' But instead of following the friendly advice, Jocelyn would have assaulted Sir Giles if he had not been forcibly withheld by the gentleman. The knight was not slow to follow up the advantage he had gained. "'Stand forward, Clement Lanier,' he exclaimed authoritatively. The promoter instantly advanced." Look at this man, Sir Giles continued, addressing Jocelyn, and you will perceive how those who malign the star chamber are treated. This disfigured countenance was once as free from seam or scar as your own, and yet, for an offense lighter than yours, it hath been stamped, as you see, with indelible infamy. Answer, Clement Lanier, and answer according to your conscience. Was the sentence just of the high and honorable court by which you were tried? It was just, the promoter replied, a deep flush dyeing his ghastly visage. And lenient? Most lenient, for it left my foul tongue the power of speech it now enjoys. By whom were you prosecuted in the star chamber? By him I now serve. That is, by myself. Do you bear me malice for what I did? I have never said so. On the contrary, Sir Giles, I have always declared I owe you a deep debt. Which you strive to pay? which I will pay. You hear what this man says, Monchensey? Sir Giles cried. You have been guilty of the same offense as he. Why should you not be similarly punished? If I were so punished, I would stab my prosecutor to the heart, Jocelyn replied. At this rejoinder, Lanier, who had hitherto kept his eyes on the ground, suddenly raised them with a look of singular expression at the speaker. Humph, Sir Giles ejaculated. I must proceed to extremities with him, I find. Keep strict watch upon him, Lanier, and follow him if he goes forth. Trace him to his lair. Now, to business. Give me the letters patent, Lupo, he added, turning to the scrivener as Lanier retired. These letters patent, continued Sir Giles, taking two parchment scrolls with large seals pendant from them from Lupo Vulp, and displaying them to the assemblage, these royal letters, he repeated in his steady, stern tones, and glancing round with a look of half-defiance, passed under the great seal, and bearing the king's sign manual, as ye see, gentlemen, constitute the authority on which I act. They accord to me and my co-patentee, Sir Francis Mitchell, absolute and uncontrolled power and discretion in granting and refusing licenses to all tavern-keepers and hostel-keepers throughout London. They give us full power to enter and inspect all taverns and hostels, at any time that may seem fit to us, and prevent any unlawful games being used therein, and to see that good order and rule be maintained. 
They also render it compulsory upon all alehouse keepers, tavern keepers, and innkeepers throughout London to enter into their own recognizances with us against the non-observance for our rules and regulations for their governments and maintenance, and to find two sureties, and in the case of the forfeiture of such recognizances, by any act of the parties, coming within the scope of our authority, it is provided that one moiety of the sum forfeited be paid to the crown, and the other moiety to us. Lend me your ears yet further, I pray ye, gentlemen. These royal letters empower us to inflict certain fines and penalties upon all such as offend against our authority, or resist our claims, and they enable us to apprehend and commit to prison such offenders without further warrant than the letters themselves contain. In brief, gentlemen, he continued in a peremptory tone, as if insisting upon attention, you will observe that the absolute control of all houses of entertainment, where excisable liquors are vended, is delegated to us by his most gracious majesty, King James, to which end ample powers have been given us by his majesty, who has armed us with the strong arm of the law. Will it please ye to inspect the letters, gentlemen? Holding them forth. You will find that his majesty hath thus written, En cujus are testimonium es litieras a nostras fieri fecimus patense, teste me ipso apud vestem diace die mai anu reni nostri, etc. Then follows the royal signature. None of ye, I presume, will question its authenticity? A deep silence succeeded, in the midst of which Jocelyn Monchensey broke forth. I, for one, question it, he cried. I will never believe that a king, who, like our gracious sovereign, has the welfare of his subjects at heart, would sanction the oppression and injustice which those warrants, if entrusted to unscrupulous hands, must inevitably accomplish. I therefore mistrust the genuineness of the signature. If not forged, it has been obtained by fraud or misrepresentation. Some murmurs of applause followed this bold speech, but the gentleman who had previously counseled the young man again interposed and whispered these words in his ear. Your rash vehemence will undo you if you take not heed. Beyond question, Sir Giles hath the king's sanction for what he does, and to censure him as you have done is to censure the crown, which is next to treason. Be ruled by me, my good young sir, and meddle no more in the matter. Sir Giles, who had some difficulty in controlling his choler, now spoke. You have cast an imputation upon me, Jocelyn Monchensey, he cried with concentrated fury, which you shall be compelled to retract as publicly as you have made it. To insult an officer of the crown in the discharge of his duty is to insult the crown itself, as you will find. In the king's name, I command you to hold your peace, or in the king's name, I will instantly arrest you, and I forbid any one to give you aid. I will not be troubled thus. Appointed by his majesty to a certain office, I exercise it as much for the benefit of the royal exchequer as for my own personal advantage. I have his majesty's full approval of what I do and I need nothing more. I am accountable to no man save the king, addressing this menace as much to the rest of the company as to Jocelyn. But I came not here to render explanation, but to act. What ho, Madame Bonaventure, where are ye, Madame? Oh, you are here. Bonjour, sweet Sir Giles, the landlady said, making him a profound obeisance. What is your pleasure with me, sir, and to what am I to attribute the honor of this visit? Tut, madam, you know well enough what brings me hither, and thus attended, he replied. 
I come in pursuance of a notice, served upon you a month ago. You will not deny having received it, since the officer who placed it in your hands is here present, and he indicated Clement Lanier. Au contraire, Sir Giles, Madame Bonaventure replied. I readily admit the receipt of a written message from you, which, though scarcely intelligible to my poor comprehension, did not seem as agreeably worded as a billet doux. Mais ma foi, I attached little importance to it. I did not suppose it possible, nor do I suppose it possible now, with a captivating smile, which was totally lost upon Sir Giles, that you could adopt such rigorous measures against me. My measures may appear rigorous, madame, Sir Giles coldly replied, but I am warranted in taking them. Nay, I am compelled to take them. Not having made the satisfaction required by the notice, you have deprived yourself of the protection I was willing to afford you. I am now merely your judge. The penalties incurred by your neglect are these. Your license was suspended a month ago, the notice expressly stating that it would be withdrawn unless certain conditions were fulfilled. Consequently, as ever since that time you have been vending excisable liquors without lawful permission, you have incurred a fine of 100 marks a day, making a total of 3,000 marks now due and owing from you, partly to His Majesty and partly to His Majesty's representatives. This sum I now demand." "'Ah, do three thousand marks!' Madame Bonaventure screamed. "'What robbery is this? What barbarity? "'Tis ruin, utter ruin. "'I may as well close my house altogether "'and return to my own fair country. "'As I am an honest woman, Sir Giles, I cannot pay it. "'So it is quite useless on your part to make any such demand.' "'You profess inability to pay, Madame,' Sir Giles rejoined. "'I cannot believe you, having some knowledge of your means. "'Nevertheless,' I will acquaint you with a rule of law applicable to the contingency you put. Quad non abet in sere, lue in corpore, is a decree of the star chamber, meaning, for I do not expect you to understand Latin, that he who cannot pay in purse shall pay in person. Aware of the alternative, you will make your choice. And you may thank me that I have not adjudged you at once, as I have the power to three months within the Wood Street Compter. "'Ah, Sir Giles, what an atrocious idea! "'You are worse than a savage to talk of such a loathsome prison to me. "'Ah, mon Dieu, what is to happen to me? "'Would I were back again in my lovely Bordeaux?' "'You will have an opportunity of revisiting that fine city, madame, "'for you will no longer be able to carry on your calling here.' "'Ciel, Sir Giles, what mean you?' "'I mean, madame, that you are disabled from keeping any tavern for the space of three years.' Madame Bonaventure clasped her hands together and screamed aloud. "'In pity, Sir Giles, in pity!' she cried. The inexorable knight shook his head. The low murmurs of indignation among the company, which had been gradually gathering force during the foregoing dialogue, now became clamorous. "'A most scandalous proceeding!' exclaimed one. "'Deprive us of our best French ordinary!' cried another. "'Infamous extortioner!' shouted a third. "'We'll not permit such injustice. "'Let us take the law into our own hands "'and settle the question,' shouted a fourth. "'Aye, down with the knight,' added a fifth. "'But Sir Giles continued perfectly unmoved "'by the tempest raging around, "'and laughed to scorn these menaces, "'contenting himself with signing to Captain Blutter "'to be in readiness. "'A truce to this gentleman,' he at length thundered forth. "'The king's warrant must be respected.' "'Again Madame Bonaventure besought his pity, but in vain.' She took hold of his arm and feigned to kneel to him, but he shook her coldly off. "'You are a very charming woman, no doubt, madame,' he said sarcastically. 
and some men might find you irresistible, but I am not made of such yielding stuff, and you may spare yourself further trouble, for all your powers of persuasion will fail with me. I renew my demand, and for the last time. Do not compel me to resort to extremities with you. It would grieve me, he added with a bitter smile, to drag so pretty a woman through the public streets, like a common debtor to the compter. Grace, grace, Sir Giles, cried Madame Bonaventure. Then seeing him remain inflexible, she added in an altered tone, I will never submit with life to such an indignity. Never. We'll all protect you, madame, cried the assemblage with one voice. Let him lay hands upon you, and he shall see. Sir Giles glanced at his myrmidons. They stepped quickly towards him in a body. At the same time, Jocelyn Monchancy, whom no efforts of the friendly gentleman could now restrain, sprang forward and, drawing his sword, was just in time to place himself before Madame Bonaventure as she drew hastily back. "'Have no fear, madame. You are safe with me,' the young man said, glancing fiercely at the knight and his troop. The greatest confusion now reigned throughout the room. Other swords were drawn, and several of the guests mounted upon the benches to overlook the scene. Cyprian and the rest of the drawers and tradesmen ranged themselves behind their mistress, prepared to resist any attempt on the part of the Myrmidons to seize her. The curtain at the head of the room was partly drawn aside, showing that the distinguished persons at the upper table were equally excited. Gentlemen, Sir Giles said, still maintaining perfect calmness in the midst of the tumult, a word with you ere it be too late. I don't address myself to you, Jocelyn Monchancy, for you are undeserving of any friendly consideration, but to all others I would counsel forbearance and non-resistance. Deliver up that woman to me. I will die upon the spot sooner than you shall be surrendered, said Jocelyn, encouraging the hostess who clung to his disengaged arm. Oh, merci, grand merci, mon beau gentilhomme, she exclaimed. Am I to understand, then, that you mean to impede me in the lawful execution of my purposes, gentlemen? Sir Giles demanded. We mean to prevent an unlawful arrest, several voices rejoined. Be it so, the knight said. I wash my hands of the consequences. Then, turning to his followers, he added, Officers, at all hazards, attach the person of Damary Bonaventure, and convey her to the compter. At the same time, arrest the young man beside her, Jocelyn Monchancy, who has uttered treasonable language against our sovereign lord the king. I will tell you how to dispose of him anon. Do my bidding at once. But ere the order could be obeyed, the authoritative voice, which had previously been heard from the upper table, exclaimed, Hold! Sir Giles paused, looked irresolute for a minute, and then checked his myrmidons with a wave of his hand. Who is it stays the law, he said, with the glare of a tiger from whom a bone has been snatched? One you must needs obey, Sir Giles, replied Lord Roos, coming toward him from the upper table. You have unconsciously played a part in a comedy, and played it very well, too. But it is time to bring the piece to an end. We are fast verging on the confines of tragedy. I do not understand you, my lord, Sir Giles returned gravely. I discern nothing comic in the matter, though much of serious import. You do not perceive the comedy, because it has been part of our scheme to keep you in the dark, Sir Giles. So there is a scheme, then, afoot here, my lord? Ha! A little merry plot, nothing more, Sir Giles, in the working of which your worthy co-patentee, Sir Francis Mitchell, has materially assisted. Ha! exclaimed Sir Giles, glancing at his partner, who still occupied his elevated position upon the table. I presume, then, I have to thank you, my lord, for the indignity offered to my friend? As you please, Sir Giles, Lord Roos returned carelessly. 
You call it an indignity, but in my opinion the best thing to be done with a man whose head so swims with wine that his legs refuse to support him is to tie him in a chair. He may else sacrifice his dignity by rolling under the table. Let this pass for the nonce. Before Sir Francis was wholly overcome, he was good enough to give me his signature. You saw him do it, gentlemen? he added, appealing to the company. Yes, yes, we saw him write it, was the general reply. And to what end was this done, my lord? Sir Giles demanded sternly. To enable me, replied the imperturbable young nobleman, to draw out a receipt in full of your joint claims against Madame Bonaventure. I have done it, Sir Giles, and here it is and I have taken care to grant a renewal of her license from the date of your notice, so that no penalties or fines can attach to her for neglect. Take it, Madame Bonaventure, he continued, handing her the paper. It is your full acquittance. And think you, my lord, that this shallow artifice, to give it no harsher term, will avail you anything? Sir Giles cried scornfully. I set it aside at once. Your pardon, Sir Giles, you will do no such thing. And who will hinder me, you, my lord? Even I, Sir Giles, proceed at your peril. The young nobleman's assurance staggered his opponent. He must have someone to uphold him, or he would not be thus confident, he thought. Whose was the voice I heard? It sounded like, no matter, tis needful to be cautious. You do not then hold yourself bound by the acts of your partner, Sir Giles, Lord Ruse said. I deny this to be his act, the knight replied. "'Better question him at once on the subject,' Lord Roos said. "'Set him free, Cyprian.' The Gascon did as he was bidden, and with the aid of his fellow drawers helped Sir Francis from the table. To the surprise of the company, the knight then managed to stagger forward unassisted, and would have embraced Sir Giles if the latter had not thrust him off in disgust with some violence. "'What folly is this, Sir Francis?' Sir Giles cried angrily. "'You have forgotten yourself strangely. You have taken leave of your senses, methinks.' "'Not a whit of it, Sir Giles, not a whit. "'I was never more my own master than I am at present, "'as I will prove to you.' "'Prove it, then, by explaining how you came to sign that paper. "'You could not mean to run counter to me?' "'But I did,' Sir Francis rejoined, highly offended. "'I meant to run counter to you in signing it, and I mean it now.' "'Sadeth, you besotted fool! "'You are playing into their hands.' "'Besotted fool in your teeth, Sir Giles. "'I am as sober as yourself.' My hand has been put to that paper, and what it contains I stand by. You design, then, to acquit Madame Bonaventure? Consider what you say. No need for consideration. I have always designed it. Ten thousand thanks, Sir Francis, the hostess cried. I knew I had an excellent friend in you. The enamored knight seized the hand she extended towards him, but in the attempt to kiss it fell to the ground, amid the laughter of the company. "'Are you satisfied now, Sir Giles?' asked Lord Roos. "'I am satisfied that Sir Francis has been duped,' he replied, "'and that when his brain is free from the fumes of wine "'he will bitterly regret his folly. "'But even his discharge will be insufficient. "'Though it may bind me, it will not bind the crown, "'which will yet enforce its claims. "'That, Sir Giles, I leave competent authority to decide,' "'Lord Roos replied, retiring.' and as he withdrew, the curtains before the upper table were entirely withdrawn, disclosing the whole of the brilliant assemblage, and at the head of them one person far more brilliant and distinguished than the rest. Buckingham, Sir Giles exclaimed, I thought I knew the voice. It was indeed the king's omnipotent favorite. Magnificently attired, 
the Marquis of Buckingham as far outshone his companions in splendor of habiliments as he did in stateliness of carriage and beauty of person. Rising from the table and donning his plumed hat, looped with diamonds, with a gesture worthy of a monarch, while all the rest remained uncovered, as if in recognition of his superior dignity, he descended to where Sir Giles Mompesson was standing. It need scarcely be said that Jocelyn Monchensey had never seen the superb favorite before, but he did not require to be told whom he beheld. So perfectly did Buckingham realize the descriptions given of him. A little above ordinary height, with a figure of the most perfect symmetry, and features as aristocratic and haughty as handsome, it was impossible to conceive a prouder or nobler-looking personage than the Marquis. His costume was splendid, consisting of a doublet of white-cut velvet, roped with pearls, which fitted him to admiration. Over his shoulders he wore a mantle of washet-colored velvet. His neck was encircled by a falling band, and silken hose of the same color as the doublet completed his costume. His deportment was singularly dignified, but his manner might have conciliated more if it had been less imperious and disdainful. Sir Giles made a profound obeisance as Buckingham advanced towards him. His salutation was haughtily returned. "'I have heard something of your mode of proceeding with the keepers of taverns and hostels, Sir Giles,' the proud Marquis said. "'But this is the first occasion on which I have seen it put in practice, and I am free to confess that you deal not over gently with them, if the present may be considered a specimen of your ordinary conduct.' Those letters, Patent, were not confided to you by His Majesty to distress his subjects, for your own particular advantage and profit, but to benefit the community by keeping such places of entertainment in better order than heretofore. I fear you have somewhat abused your warrant, Sir Giles. If to devote myself, heart and soul, to His Majesty's service, and to enrich His Majesty's exchequer be to abuse my warrant, I have done so, my Lord Marquis, but not otherwise." I have ever vindicated the dignity and authority of the crown. You have just heard that, though my own just claims have been defeated by the inadvertence of my co-patentee, I have advanced those of the king. The king relinquishes all claims in the present case, Buckingham replied. His gracious majesty gave me full discretion in the matter, and I act as I know he himself would have acted. And waving his hand to signify that he would listen to no more remonstrances, the marquis turned to Madame Bonaventure, who instantly prostrated herself before him, as she would have done before royalty itself, warmly thanking him for his protection. "'You must thank my Lord Roos, and not me, madame,' Buckingham graciously replied, raising her as he spoke. "'It was at his lordship's instance I came here. He takes a warm interest in you, madame.' "'I shall ever be beholden to his lordship, I am sure,' Madame Bonaventure said, casting down her eyes and blushing, or feigning to blush, as well as to you, Monseigneur.' My Lord Roos avouched, pursued Buckingham, that at the Three Cranes I should find the prettiest hostess and the best wine in London, and on my faith as a gentleman, I must say he was wrong in neither particular. Brighter eyes I have never beheld, rarer claret I have never drunk. Oh, Monsignor, you quite overwhelm me. My poor house can scarcely hope to be honored a second time with such a presence, but should it so chance, you will give me as good welcome as you have done today. No lack of inducement to repeat the visit. Sir Giles Mompesson, my Lord Marquis. I lay my commands upon you, good Sir Giles, that no further molestation be offered to Madame Bonaventure, but that you give a good report of her house. Withdraw your followers without delay. Your commands shall be obeyed, my Lord Marquis, Sir Giles rejoined. But before I go, I have an arrest to make. That young man, pointing to Jocelyn, has been talking treason. 
"'It is false, my lord Marquis,' Jocelyn replied. "'His majesty hath not a more loyal subject than myself. "'I would cut out my tongue rather than speak against him. "'I have said the king is ill-served in such officers "'as Giles Mompasson and Sir Francis Mitchell, "'and I abide by my words. "'They can reflect no dishonor on his majesty.' "'Save that they seem to imply a belief on your part "'that his majesty has chosen his officers badly,' Buckingham said, "'regarding the young man fixedly. "'Not so, my lord Marquis. "'These men may have been favorably represented to his majesty, "'who no doubt has been kept in ignorance of their iniquitous proceedings.' "'What are you driving at, sir?' Buckingham cried, almost fiercely. "'I mean, my lord Marquis, "'that these persons may be the creatures of some powerful noble "'whose interest it is to throw a cloak over their malpractices.' "'For heaven! Some covert insult would seem to be intended,' exclaimed Buckingham. "'Who is this young man, Sir Giles?' "'He is named Jocelyn Munchensy, my lord Marquis, "'and is the son of an old Norfolk knight baronet, "'who, you may remember, was arraigned before the court of Star Chamber, "'heavily fined and imprisoned.' "'I do remember the case, and the share you and Sir Francis had in it, Sir Giles,' "'Buckingham rejoined. "'I am right glad to hear that, my lord,' said Jocelyn. You will not then wonder that I avow myself their mortal enemy. We laugh to scorn these idle vaporings, said Sir Giles, and were it permitted, he added, touching his sword, I myself would find an easy way to silence them. But the froward youth, whose brain seemed crazed with his fancied wrongs, is not content with railing against us, but must needs lift up his voice against all constituted authority. He hath spoken contemptuously of the star chamber, and that, my lord Marquis, as you well know, is an offence which cannot be passed over. I am sorry for it, Buckingham rejoined, but if he will retract what he has said and express compunction with promise of amendment in future, I will exert my influence to have him held harmless. I will never retract what I have said against that iniquitous tribunal, Jocelyn rejoined firmly. I will rather die a martyr as my father did in the cause of truth. "'Your kindness is altogether thrown away upon him, my lord,' Sir Giles said, with secret satisfaction. "'So I perceive,' Buckingham rejoined. "'Our business is over,' he added to the nobles and gallants around him. "'So we may to our barges. "'You, my lord,' he added to Lord Roos, "'will doubtless tarry to receive the thanks of our pretty hostess.' And graciously saluting Madame Bonaventure, he quitted the tavern, accompanied by a large train, and entering his barge amid the acclamations of the spectators, was rowed towards Whitehall." End of chapter 9